Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you tonight as we continue our series, Body of Work. We've been thinking about how God gifts his body, his church, how he gives us gifts to serve him, but also to serve each other. And that's what we've been exploring for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue tonight. But as I think about tonight's gift, I find myself thinking about caves, or one particular cave a cave in Spain, a cave where a woman named Beatrice Flamini found herself. Now, she wasn't there by accident, and she isn't the normal sort of cave adventurer that we think of. She is an extreme athlete. And the accomplishment that she completed this spring is really an, a mind-blowing one. She wanted to prove that she could go 500 days in isolation in a cave. And not a Merrimack Caverns-type cave with a nice paved floor and, and lights on the stalactites that, that light up in pretty colors. A genuine, unimproved cave where it's dark, it's wet, there are bats and insects, and there aren't other human beings. So she went 500 days. She succeeded in doing this to, to break this record. 500 days in which she didn't have a cell phone that somehow wired to work up in a cave, any kind of other communications line. She'd even instructed people not to try to reach her if a family member died. She wanted to truly experience what it was like to have 500 days in which communication would not be made with her. And she succeeded. So we think about that. I think about that. I think, wow, I don't know that I could do that. I don't quite know how you do that. And certainly when you think about accomplishing something like this, it's striking that that here she did this on her own. She didn't need someone else to keep her entertained, to keep her sane. She didn't even have her own voice. She, she stayed quiet during that time so that she wouldn't disturb the creatures in the cave. She felt like she hadn't earned the right to. And so while she did say that she talked to herself, she only did so in her head, never audibly. So 500 days without even a human voice, even her own. Wow, isn't that amazing endurance? And yet, if you scroll through the stories about her adventures, and they're amazing, I mean, I, I don't want to take away from what she accomplished, it's not quite the picture that we get at first. Because you see, while she was alone for 500 days, she didn't see another human being, she didn't hear another human being, she had a team on the surface monitoring her condition. She had a team on the surface bringing her food, because if you thought about it, while she did have some books and some lights and some first aid supplies and stuff, how did she survive in a cave as far as food. Well, they brought it to her. She'd take her, her garbage to a certain collection point every few days, walk away, stay away so that she wouldn't encounter anyone, and then someone would come down into the cave, take the garbage, and leave food for her. So even though she didn't have that direct human touch, and it sounds isolating and difficult in itself, she wasn't genuinely alone. She still needed a support team to allow her to accomplish this extreme accomplishment that she made. And so too do we. We need support to get through the extreme accomplishment of living in an even more extreme and hostile environment, a world wrecked with sin, and our lives that are polluted by sin. How do we find ourselves there and get to where we want to be, which is in glory with our God, to, to live as those made children of the very living God? How do we get there? 
Well, we receive God's support. We need his support. We can't do it on our own. And he works his support frequently through his body, the church. And when we think about the different spiritual gifts and the one that we're going to be talking about tonight, that's something that is important for us to hold on to. And it explains why we should be motivated to do these things that God calls us to do. Because we see that he's doing it for us. Now, tonight's gift is the gift of contributing or generosity. And if you've been tracking with me so far, you're thinking, well, this is a nice story. I'm interested to see where Tim's going. But then you hear those words, you might think, and now we're going into a tithing sermon. Now we're going into a stewardship message. And I might want to hit the X on the screen because I thought we were going elsewhere. I've heard those already. But please hold on for a second because that's not really where we're going. It's not completely unrelated, but we do a terrible disservice to ourselves and to the message of what God's calling us to be and to do when we take the words contribution or generosity and we turn it into just a synonym for tithing, a synonym for giving to the church or to even to supporting missionaries or, or benevolence causes. That's maybe a part of it. For many of us, it will be a part of it, but it's not really where Jesus is calling us in full. And when we stop there, and when that's how we speak, we miss out on what it really means to live generously. Take a look at what Paul writes in Romans 12, verse 8. We've been going through this list of gifts, and the way he phrases it, it's the one who contributes, this, that's the spiritual gift, the one who contributes in generosity. That word generosity really could be translated sincerity, without strings attached, to contribute without seeking to get something in return. And that's where we're going to land tonight. That's where we're being challenged by our God, is to give and give and give. That's far more and far more complex and far harder to get our heads around than what we normally mean when we say generosity or contributions. So let's ask our God for help, because we need his help to truly live generous, sincerely generous lives. Let's go before him in prayer, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for being the one who is truly the, the most generous, the one who has given from the beginning to the end of time to each of these creatures that you've made that we are amongst, that you've given us your love and your care and your provision. And as you call us to be those who contribute, to, those, to be those who are generous, would you help us to understand more what that really means? What does it mean to live a life of contribution. Lord, would you help us to understand that tonight? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's actually jump for a moment. We have these words out now. They're floating out there. And like I said, you probably are going a certain direction with them because that's how we often speak in the church. But in Scripture, we're actually taking a little bit of a different direction. And we see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse, verses 16 to 18. Listen to what the Apostle John writes. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's the real challenge here. How do we get from speaking of generosity and having some just sort of big picture idea of generosity to actually being those who exhibit the spiritual gift 
that, that Paul's talking about here. Uh, something that I think we should keep in mind, because if you're thinking about the series we've been going through, you, you might be thinking, well, Tim, we, we, we've been looking at these different gifts like teaching and serving and so on, and they seem to apply to certain people. There are certain people, for example, who are teachers. There are certain people who uh, give exhortation. But aren't we all called to be generous? It seems like it. That seems like what John's saying here. And I think in that, what we see is that some people are gifted to model it. Some people are gifted to show what a generous life looks like. And and first and foremost is Jesus. Jesus shows us what a generous life really looks like. That's where John starts when he wants us to understand what this is, what this calling is for, for all of us as Christians. He turns to what Jesus has done for us. And that lays the foundation for us to understand everything that we're called to do. Because if we're going to be like Jesus, we understand that we should be willing to give everything in life. That, that there's nothing that we should hold on to is too precious to give. The, the language that we see in, in 1 John we can kind of go flying past because we're used to using it in the church. This idea of laying down one's life, that, that, that's just sort of entered our way of speaking. But it was really unique to John. It's something that's very much a phrase of the apostle. And it's unique because he's trying to express something that's really kind of unique. Not just kind of unique, entirely unique. Because here's the God of the universe. He comes into the world. What does he do? He takes that precious life, the most precious life. And he took it off like a robe. He laid it down to rescue us. Imagine you see someone out in the ocean at, uh, along the shoreline and that person's flailing and you're walking along the beach on a, on a cooler day. You have your favorite leather jacket on. It's that one that you've had for decades and it's gotten all nice and worn and soft and you couldn't go to the store and replace it if you wanted to. You have that jacket on and you see that person out there. You know how to swim. You know how to rescue that person. But to do so, you've seen enough adventure movies. You know how it goes. You have to take off everything you can so that you dive into the water and you don't get soaked up with water and unable to rescue the person. So the question is, are you going to take off that jacket and lay it down and rescue the person? You're going to say, well, maybe someone else will. I, I can't replace this. Well, what did Jesus do with something far more precious than a jacket? He laid it down for us. The challenge to us then is, what are we going to do? John 15, 13, Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's the summary of it. The question is, are we willing to take off what's precious to us? Are we willing to, to lose things that matter to us, all the way up to and including our lives? Now, conceptually, I think we can kind of wrestle with this. We, we say, okay, so I know in the Christian life, Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave his life for us. He, even though he had every reason to count it as worth everything, because in fact it was worth far more than every single life that's ever lived on this earth, even though that's true, he did. And so, yeah, you know, maybe if someday I encounter someone who's drowning, if someday I encounter someone who's stuck in a burning building, I will risk my life for that person. Or maybe you say, no, I know I'm too cowardly. I wouldn't risk my life for that person. But in either case, for most of us, in most situations of life, there's a comfort to wrestling with questions like that. We don't normally encounter those situations. So, so we can take that big, am I willing to risk my entire life for other people? To, to, to love people so much, I will give my very life for them. We can take that and put it in a little box and put it on the shelf and not think about it too much. 
because we don't encounter that every day. And maybe indeed we would. Maybe in the moment we'd have a, a flash of, of courage and we'd go and we would actually die to save someone. To, we go in the building knowing that only one person's coming out and it's either going to be us or the person that we'll rescue. Maybe we do that. Maybe we don't. But thankfully we don't face that situation every day. And the question is, what about all the little situations that we do face every day? I read about a woman not long ago who was pulled over for a traffic violation, a routine one. It, was a, it wasn't even something that she was doing wrong as, how, as to how she was driving. It was her blinker was out. I've actually had this happen where my blinker went out. And we don't know that our blinker's out. We're just driving along and suddenly you, 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 are, you find out, well, I guess my blinker's out because you've been pulled over and informed of it. And you hope maybe, well, maybe the officer will just tell me to go get the blinker fixed. Maybe that's what this woman was thinking. But she had a bit of a surprise after she handed over her driver's license. She gave it to the officer. He goes away, does the, the check on her, comes back and notifies her that she has a warrant out for her arrest for felonious embezzlement. Imagine if you, most of us thankfully haven't embezzled anything. And if you haven't ever embezzled um, and suddenly you're pulled over thinking you're just driving down the road, maybe even obeying all the laws as you're driving down the road and you're pulled over and informed of this, what a shock it would be. Well, it turned out that this, this felonious embezzlement had been something that had been building on her record for 21 years. 21 years ago, a, a member of her household had, had gone to the video store. Remember when you could go place and rent movies? Went to the video store and rented a VHS tape. Remember those? Of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Do you remember that series? I mean, talk about being far removed from the current moment. We, video stores have been gone for years. Most of us don't have VHS players, and most of us at best barely remember that television series. But here it was that this tape had been rented and never returned. And so the video store had started logging the late fees for not returning that tape. And over time, they'd accumulated substantially. She didn't even think that she had anything to do with renting this. It had just been rented on her account by someone in her household. And so she wasn't even aware of it. People forgot about it. They probably didn't even have a VHS player any longer. But that charge had stayed there and eventually been turned over to the authorities. And as it had accumulated worth because it had been so long, it turned from just being a small fee to what would be considered embezzlement. It started to bring together her life. She looked back at jobs she'd lost while doing a fine job at them, but she couldn't figure out why they fired her. And she realized that those companies had probably been doing background checks and, and seeing that she had been a felonious embezzler and decided maybe they should move on from her. This little thing, this thing that seems so inconsequ inconsequential, this thing that tied to a technology that people don't even have any longer, had come back to haunt her. So often in our lives, we, we, we have this big picture, oh yes, maybe I could do the heroic thing if it really meant risking my entire life, but are we embezzling from God generosity every single day and, and it's building up and building up and building up? What are the opportunities every day? Because as one commentator put it, love is the giving impulse. It's not just what am I going to do in that grand moment, but how do I love in the everyday moments? Do I have that impulse to give all the time? It's not just about giving everything. Sometimes the more challenging thing is, are we willing to give something? Back to verses 17 and 18 of 1 John 3, we, we read, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or, or talk, but in deed 
and in truth. Notice here that, that John was talking about the big grand things, talking about Jesus giving his very life for us, the heart of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. But he doesn't stay there. He wants to challenge us that what it really means to, to live the Christian life, to, to, to put the talk into our walk, it is not merely to have that theoretical, abstract, will I die for someone question. What are we going to do every day when we see smaller needs? Because those are the ones that hurt. Because as long as that's an abstract question, it doesn't really hurt us that much. Maybe we get into a little existential angst every once in a while. But we actually have to be confronted with what am I going to do every day with the needs around me and with the things that I have? It becomes so much more challenging. And that's where he grounds it here. If, if you think about this phrasing he's using, there's this, this phrase of, of the, the things of the world. We have those. What are we going to do with them? And we think, well, what does that phrase really mean? Well, it could be translated essentially the stuff for living. That would maybe even be a better translation. In other words, if we have shelter, if we have food, if we have those sorts of things, if we have, when we're struggling with something, someone to talk that through with, those things that we need. If we have the stuff that we work for, if we have the stuff that we build relationships with each other for, the things that we help each other out with, if we have those things and we see someone else struggling and drowning, whether it's in a very material sense, like they don't have any food or, or they don't have shelter, or we see someone who who's wrestling deeply in pain with something and we're not willing to give them our time. Those are all ways that we're failing to meet that stuff that's necessary for life. And those are the sorts of, of needs that we face every day with people. Maybe we don't always face someone who's actually literally starving to death. Sometimes, maybe even more often, it really is more the people who are emotionally starving to death because they're wrestling with things and they don't think there's anyone willing to share the burden. And we're not sure that we are because while theoretically we might someday be willing to be the, the, the big time newspaper headline type hero, the everyday stuff that's going to burden us, that we're going to wrestle with, it's going to pain us to take on some of that pain that a person's going through. It's going to take up our time, which is often our most precious commodity. It, maybe we're struggling through things and we're not sure that we can bear another burden. Those sorts of challenges, they're going to be there every day. They're also going to be costly to us because they're actually going to take away the things we want to grip onto in the moment. Those are the ones that John is challenging us. Are we willing to do those? It's notable here as he's, as he's making this statement that he goes from speaking of the universal, we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. He's speaking plurally of brothers or brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's speaking plurally of people that will, should be willing to do this. To then to us individually and with one other person. Note what he says here. He says, but if anyone, singular, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, in other words, don't think only in the abstract. Because as long as we keep it abstract, as long as we keep it too big to normally be a demand on us, or as long as we keep it in, in the needs of everyone, well, we don't really have to wrestle with it. We couldn't save the whole world if we wanted to, and we certainly aren't going to be able to, no matter how much we want. Only Jesus can do that. But what are we doing with that one person who walks in and needs to talk to them? What are we doing with that one person who is starving and, and needs some food. 
What are we doing when someone needs shelter? What are we doing with those things that are actually going to cost us something in the moment, but we actually could do it if we choose to? Those are the some things that we're challenged to really wrestle with. And that's what we're thinking about as we think about this gift that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 8. Again, the one who contributes in generosity. And I mentioned earlier, maybe we could phrase that instead of generosity with sincerity or without strings, without a hidden agenda. We think about what Jesus has done for us, the, the heart of the gospel. What did he do for us? Well, he saved us. He didn't do it with strings attached. He didn't do it and then throw us in 10,000 years of, of sinner debtor prison where we have to somehow eventually earn a seat at the table in heaven. Not that we ever could. He doesn't do it and say, well, okay, you human beings, you're so whiny. Okay, I'll, I'll save some of you. He doesn't do it like that. What does he do? He lays down his life. He, he takes it off, discards it to save us because he loves us. And all he asks of us is that we follow him, that we come to him, that we lay our burdens on him. He, in other words, that we keep receiving what he wants to give to us. What a generous model it is that our Savior is. He keeps giving. He gives because he deems you and me worthy of it, even though we aren't. We aren't intrinsically. We are because of love. That's the model we're called to follow. And yet our world says, no, we give to get something back. We, we give someone something so that they'll help us out in our time of need. I even referred to that earlier. Oftentimes, wh wh why do we want to be around other people? Why do we want to have friendships in our lives? So that, that we can help each other. And that, that's true and we need that. But how great is it? How much are we being like our Savior when we help someone and we know they can't help us? We'll never see them again. That they'll never be able to comfort us in a difficult time. That no one's going to write about it in the paper. That there won't be any way it rewards us, but it will cost us. That we've thrown that jacket off and lost it. That we've set aside some money that, that we were hoping to do something that we would enjoy and we instead give it to someone in need. That we're looking forward to that nice time to relax and instead we, we become a listening ear. What do we do when it really costs us? That's what we're being challenged to think about here. And it's so contrary to the world. Even people who, who go to church, but let's face it, friends, we, we absorb the world. I was reading a pundit the other day. She's someone who in her bio states that the first thing that she is is a church woman. Then she goes on to the different political causes that she works on and so on. And she was remarking, she goes around to churches and gives speeches. And, and the idea is she goes and gives a speech for these, these political causes that she represents. And and she brings attention, she brings publicity to these churches so that they, they benefit. But what are they supposed to do in return? They're supposed to send out volunteers to work for her causes. They're supposed to donate. They're supposed to help her network and meet the movers and shakers in the different communities that she goes into. And she was frustrated because she said too often it seems like the churches aren't getting that, that they're supposed to, she's helping them, they need to help her out. It struck me how contrary that is to what, church men and church women should be looking for as we serve. If we're genuinely following Jesus, we're not looking for quid pro quo. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. What are we looking for? We're looking to be like Jesus. And generosity, this, this true gift of contributing is a gift that contributes without expecting anything in return. That, that instead of being like, uh, like we are, we're too often we're leaving a trail behind us of wreckage. We're leaving a trail of healing, even when we don't get to enjoy it and see it. 
that a snail, if you've ever seen a snail or a slug going down a path and you see the little trail behind that little creature, we should be leaving trails of generosity. And, and that then comes all the way back to how is this a particular spiritual gift? Yes, there are people who are especially called to teach, who are especially called to exhort, who are especially called to each of these different spiritual gifts and to, to, to show them. But when we really think about it, they're all really meant to be models. If you have a gift of teaching, you're modeling teaching to others. If you have a gift of mercy, you're modeling mercy to others. If you have a gift of service, then you're modeling service to others because we're all called to do these things. We, we're all called to teach other people about Jesus. We're all called to serve other people, and we're certainly all called to contribute. And what's the spiritual gift of contribution? I, I think all of us can think of people who give and give and give and give till it hurts. People who exhibit what it's like to follow Jesus in this way. And we're sometimes in awe of them. How do they keep giving? They just give to a fault. Maybe we're not quite there yet. But I think when God gives someone with the gift of contributing, what he's doing with that person is not doing it so we can say, well, someone else is generous. I don't need to be. But rather, we see those people and we see something of Jesus. And then we become more like them and crucially, ultimately more like Jesus. And then we're exhibiting generosity, that contributing spirit to someone else. Because here's where it all really boils down to it. We serve a God who has been giving forever to us, to all of creation. We talked a few Sunday nights ago about how even in Genesis, even at the very beginning, even before sin, God was showing his grace, his generosity, and creating a beautiful world and, and creating us. He didn't need to do any of it. He did it out of love. And so we have this God throughout, from age to age, from beginning to end, who has been generous, even when we don't have any reason to demand it. And as he gifts people with a spirit of contribution, what is he doing? He's gifting those people to remind us of that, to pull us out of that self-centeredness, out of looking for those strings and how we're going to advance. Instead to see him. To paraphrase what John says elsewhere in 1 John, we give because Jesus first gave to us. That's our calling. To look to the Savior, to understand what he's given for us, that he gave everything for us. And so, yes, sometimes some of us will be called to pay that ultimate price and to give everything. But more than that, we're called to give something in the moment to those people around us who have need. And when we do that, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Let's pray that he would enable us to do that this very day. Lord, we come before you as those who, who struggle. All of us, every single person who has ever had breath, Lord, we've reverted to selfishness, all but one. And indeed, that one is our Savior Jesus, your Son, who, who came into the world, yes, fully human, but also fully God, and lived the perfect life. And as we look to him, would you help us to, to understand, first off, what you're doing for us, to understand the generosity you've shown us, and if we haven't yet clung to that, to, to do so, because without your generosity, Lord, we're sunk. We, we can't get anywhere. We can't even begin to show generosity or, or, or have any hope for the future. We need you. But then as we move into the Christian life, would you help us to, to look to other examples, to uh, those people that you raise up who do model generosity, constantly giving and helping and serving others in so many ways. And would you help us to be more like that too, to model the gift of generosity, of contributing? that more people would see that in our lives and then want to know the one who's given all because 
They know that they're like us and that none of us can really do that on our own. Those are the one to know you. Lord, we pray that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. And indeed, if it was, I would appreciate some generosity on social media from you. Would you consider giving this a like or a share? Follow our, our page subscribe to our YouTube channel, do those sorts of things to help us get the word out that people can hear about the generous God who loves them. Because that's what we celebrate. And we celebrate that through the spiritual gifts we've been exploring. We'll continue to explore that next week. I hope you'll join me then as we dig further in. Also, of course, throughout the week, we have other events going on here at Little Hills. We have Bible studies. We have this week at Little Hills. We have our Sunday service. All these are opportunities for us to pour into each other, to minister to each other, and to be strengthened to show the generosity that God has shown us. We're here if you need to talk through anything. I, I pray that we would always be a church that lives what we've been talking about tonight. And so if you have a prayer request, if you're wrestling with something, if you just need to talk or be prayed for. There's a number on screen. We would love to hear from you. You can text into that and someone will write back right away. I love getting to, to pray alongside you. You can also leave a comment in the comments below. Leave a prayer request in the, in the comments below and we can pray for each other that way. However we do it, may we be a generous people. And I hope that you have a blessed week living in the light of a generous God who is with you. I'll see you again next week.